I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am joined today by someone whom many of you know from Instagram as Flirtily Speaks, also known by name as Faith Broussard Cade. She is the woman with the inspirational handwritten notes that are, I think, taking over my Instagram feed. Welcome to the show, Faith. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled. Your voice actually sounds exactly like what I thought it would sound like from reading all your notes. Warm. Yes. It's just warm and inviting. (laughs) And, um, I, your, your notes for me, I can't wait to ask you more about them and how you've gotten the ideas for them. Um, they've inspired me so much and I see so many of my friends ever since I said I was going to interview you. I think, you know, maybe a couple of my friends were following you on Instagram and now it's so many more of them. And I see your notes coming up on my Instagram stories, people sharing them all the time. Um, people are so inspired by them. So I can't wait to hear, um, what gives you the inspiration for writing them. First, I'm going to introduce you for those of you who don't know, um, Faith. Faith holds a BA in English and French studies from the U- University of the South, um, Sewanee, and a master's of education in human development counseling from Vanderbilt University. She has over 10 years of experience as a professional school counselor and mental health therapist, and has also worked as a baker and a pastry chef and a food blogger before shifting to writing notes on little pieces of torn handmade paper and publishing two guided journals on the transformative power of self-care and self-love. She appreciates Southern manners, a nice string of pearls, sweet tea, and says, bless your heart a lot. She's an excellent trivia partner who loves soccer and doesn't understand American football. I could join you on that one. (laughs) And lastly, she's the proud author of Because You Are Worthy, 90 Days of Transformative Self-Love, and Because You Have Purpose, 90 Days of Encouraging Self-Love. And for information on Faith's upcoming speaking engagements, live events, and blog updates, and her mental health coaching practice, you can visit her online at flirtilyspeaks.com, which I'm sure many of you will want to do after you hear this interview. So again, welcome to the show, Faith. Let's dive right in. I want to know how and when you got started writing these notes and what gave you the idea to do it. It's really not as creative or exciting as most people might think it is. Necessity is the mother of invention is something that I always, always, always think and always feel. And so um, my purpose and all of this, my note writing, everything, it was born out of pain. It was born out of um, tragedy. Actually, I was um, working as a school counselor in um, an elementary school and I was on my way to work on the morning of um, Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. I remember it vividly. And I was um, stopped at a stoplight and I was hit from behind by a tractor trailer. Oh my gosh. Right. And um, from from that accident, I sustained a um, concussion, post-concussive syndrome and a traumatic brain injury. 
which I did not um, obviously know at the moment or for a while. It wasn't until um, like weeks later when I started really experiencing headaches and um, memory loss and mood swings and just lots of just pain that um, I was able to get in to see clinicians that, um, that were So you able... didn't know, like, they didn't know that you had a brain injury immediately. This no, was something that, no. that you figured out after being released. Well, this was this, I, I actually never went to the hospital, um, because they checked me out at the scene and assumed that I was fine. I could walk, I could talk, I was coherent. Um, I was lucid. And so, um, they just told me to follow up with my primary care physician. Um, the, the following day, which I did. Um, and uh, through a lot of weeks and months, actually, of unfortunately being misdiagnosed by uh, people who or clinicians who um, kind of minimize my experience or minimize my pain, which is a whole nother um, topic of discussion. Um, I, I, I suffered unfortunately, for months on end that I really shouldn't have had to and finally um, demanded um, to see other doctors, other neurologists, neuropsychologists, the whole deal, um, until I finally like, was able to see someone who would listen to me and, and see all of the classic signs of what I was experiencing that no one else wanted to see before. It's very similar to, um, gosh, I forget what it's called, but it's the, um, the brain injury that a lot of football players have experienced after multiple concussions. Um, and so, um, it, it, I was a, a classic case, classic, um, from what my symptoms were. And so, um, once I was diagnosed, my doctors and um, professionals were telling me, like, look, Faith, you have got to, you've got to relax. You have got to sit down. You've got to stop doing things. You just need to essentially be sedentary and just sit there so that your brain can heal. Because if you don't do it, you will never recover from, like, you will never get back to 100%. You'll never get better. And um, I had gone on medical leave from work, um, ended up actually um, losing my job. I ended up having to resign because my doctors would not release me to return to work. I still wasn't better. Um, and so I felt even with like a blank permission slip from legitimate like doctors telling me you need to rest, you need to sit, you need to not do all the things. I felt extreme, extreme guilt about it because at the time my daughter being, she was three, like I've got an active three-year-old running around. Um, I have a husband, I have a home, I have like, so many things going on. Yeah. Like I get, you're telling me to sit and rest and heal, but, but things still need to be done. Like who else is going to do it? I mean, even with a traumatic brain injury as a woman in charge of so much in your life, you, you feel that way. I mean, I completely right. relate. We, we have babies, we have C-sections, mm -hmm. we deliver vaginally. However, whatever ends up happening right. to us, we're back at it two days later. Right. I, 
And then even there's really nothing that could happen to us that would make us that would relieve us, I feel like, of that feeling of responsibility unless exactly. something really stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Exactly. And so the mom guilt kind of just took over. And I I, I remember um I remember sitting in my car one day after dropping Bean off at, at school and um just sitting there thinking like I essentially have to make I have to make a decision between getting better and, and being better and, um, and, and guilt, like which one do I choose getting better or doing the things that I feel like I'm responsible for in my home? Like, do I let those things go a little bit so that I can recover or do I keep doing them and never completely recover. And those are like two, those are hard things to choose between for someone like me who kind of is a perfectionist and an, an overachiever and an overperformer. Um, mm-hmm. I had to get to the place where I realized like, I can't, you can't get an A plus in everything every day. Like some days I'm going to be like a great, present, mindful, on target mom and wife and kind of like maybe a C at my, my job. And then other days it'll switch around. So I remember sitting in my car thinking, okay, what am I going to do? And I decided um, that I need to let things go. I need to take a break and I needed to get better. And I needed to incorporate some sort of self-care routine into my life because up until then I had been doing a pretty poor job of it. And um, that's actually where Flirtily Speaks began. I was sitting in my car trying to figure out how to take care of myself. Um, What can I do? Because now we've gone down from two incomes to one. So there's significantly less money or resources, right? So Mm -hmm. self-care can't be um, weekly massages and mani pedis and spa days and trips to Tahiti and all of this right. stuff that people. Well, I'm so glad you just said that too. Because that's all a the time. huge topic. <laughs> yeah, of conversation lately, like that we don't need to spend a million dollars to take care right. of ourselves. But most right. of the ideas pushed at us are it, in that category. Exactly. And it's yes. so, it can be so toxic and so damaging to people who don't have those kinds of resources for those things. We'll right. sit back and think, well, I can't, I can't do, do I not deserve to take, to take care, of care of myself, right? Exactly. I don't have the moon, so I don't deserve it, or I can't, and then I I can't, so I won't. Exactly. But those are certainly not, I, I think the most fulfilling um, practices of self-love and self-care in my life are not, they, they don't cost money. The exactly. ritual of maybe going and getting your nails done, like taking that time out for yourself, that matters so much more than the actual action. Absolutely. Just taking that time. Absolutely. And so I'm literally trying to figure out, well, what can I do consistently um, that isn't going to bankrupt me and might actually provide some, some healing space for me. And I've always, always, always been um, a writer. I've always loved to write. I've always journaled. Um, Before I started Flirtily Speaks, I actually, um, 
had a business called Fleur de Lis Sweets, and I, it was a baking business um, where I baked for hire, and I also wrote a food blog. And so I decided that what would I do? I would write myself like a positive affirmation every day. All it would take was five minutes. And I would post it on Instagram for accountability because I knew that if I said I would do something on Instagram and then like slacked off and didn't do it, that like the internet thugs would totally come for me and like be like, hey, you said you're going to do this. And I don't like being embarrassed. So it was like a perfect way for me to make sure that I kept up with what I said I would do. And um, it was a challenge initially for 15 days that I would write the notes and post them on Instagram for 15 days. It was called the 15 day sweet self-love challenge. And I started posting them and they started getting traction and a lot more likes and um, shares. And then people started sending me DMs about um, your notes are so helpful to me. Um, I'm learning to love myself. It helped me to walk away from an abusive marriage of 25 years. Um, another one was, um, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life in your notes motivated me to really focus on what I wanted. I just wanted to let you know, I'm leaving for the Navy in two weeks. I've had people tell me that them scrolling through their feed, looking for a sign not to um, not to attempt suicide. And they found my note and it stopped them. Like wow. it, it's right. Like it was, I mean, heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time that something as small as a little note um, could have that much impact. And so then I got to the end of the 15 days and I'm like, well, crap, like, I can't stop writing these notes now. People are you had to keep going, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's essentially how um, Flirtily Speaks was born. And I couldn't stop because I felt a sense of responsibility, and also I had I kind of had this um, revelation that. So much of me starting the notes was about me, but there's so many people out there that are hurting and hurting and suffering in silence who never say anything. And my notes kind of gave them a voice. And you say things, you know, that, that, that you probably as a mental health coach, especially, maybe they're kind of inherent to you at this point. Right. Um, things about boundaries and taking care of yourself that you just, they come, they come as second nature, which right. is so many people, that's not the case. That's so much of what I know I've learned about right. having a message. You know, people don't know that and they don't know to practice that. And you have so much more value. It sounds like that was so much of your journey is realizing wow, the stuff that I have inside of me that I think of is just a given. A lot of people don't have access to that. Absolutely. You know, part of my duty to share it with people. I mean, um, which is really amazing. It really is. And you totally put words to that 
for me because when I post, <laughs> you know, when I post, when I post things and people say, um, thank you. Like, um, I think it was a post uh, a few days ago on the 4th of July about like, if you don't want to go to the cookout today, don't go and people will be fine. And I, that post got almost 8,000 likes and people commenting about, thank you so much for saying this. Thank you so much for, um, I needed to hear this. Thank you for giving permission. And I'm like, that is so incredible to me that people feel like they need someone to give them permission to not go someplace they don't feel like going. I it, think it's people, amazing. I think, yeah. I mean, I think also we get, I know I used to feel that way um, a lot. And the journey of no longer feeling that way of getting out of that was a very long and painful one. And now it's like, yeah, I don't want to go somewhere. I'm not going. Right. So I get to the other side of that where I, somebody gives me an invitation to go somewhere. I don't want to go. I say no, but I forget that like, I I used to be really challenging for me. And just because it's easy for me now doesn't mean there aren't a whole bunch of people out there who still struggle with it. And that, I mean, as, as a writer myself and as a creator, it's always been, I've always gotten stuck around, well, I don't have anything to say that -hmm. other people don't know. But then you realize like there's actually all of these things that you think of and you, they're just inherent for you now, but they weren't always inherent for you. And it's those things that I think it's, that's your story. That's what you share with other people that lifts them up, which is what you've been doing. You've had your notes for remind me again, how long you've been doing this. Um, since I started in May of 2018, oh my gosh, it's been two years. Have you seen a sort of spike recently in the interest and the feedback and, you know, absolutely I have. Um, and, and I think it's for a, a few reasons with all of the, um, social justice issues and, um, racial inequality issues, the um, police issues, all these sorts of things. People are looking for support. They're looking for um, comfort. They're looking for something positive and uplifting in the midst of all of this pandemonium. Um, and so I think people, more people are seeking out, um, content that is uplifting. Um, so I think that's one, um, piece of it. Another piece of it is, um, I think people are becoming, um, more aware. I think there's like an increase in awareness of the importance importance of self-care and self-love, especially in the midst of a pandemic and all of the social justice issues. Being bombarded with all of those messages and all of that content all the time, being stuck at home with your kids all the time, having had to homeschool for a whole quarter, like all of these things are weighing on people and people are looking for ways to take care of themselves um, because you can't really travel as much or go and do the things that you normally would do. So people are looking for things that they can just do at home or content that they can read in the place that they're in. Um, And something that stands out from what we're repeatedly seeing. 
something that's um, different. Constant, yeah, something that's different. So let I'll be candid here. Okay, I'm I'm a white person, so mm-hmm. I'm aware of the conversation a lo- among my probably largely white group of friends around. Um, the saturation of information going on right now around both social justice and the coronavirus and the conversations Mm -hmm. that are being had that I'm privy to are conversations being had by white people. So I'm Mm -hmm. always thinking, well, this is like the exact issue that we're having, right? We're like having this narrative without knowing how black people actually feel about what's going on and what this means. And, and so I'm, I'm so excited and thank you for being willing to talk to me about this. We just had this 4th of July and I felt like this was the first time in this country where we really had Independence Day in question in a way that it has mm-hmm. never really been in question before. Mm-hmm. And I think that was uncomfortable for a lot of people of and uncomfortable in different ways, but just like I kind of like no matter who you were, it represented this are we going to be okay uh-huh. um feeling as a country and also um, you know, we're going, we, we need to, we need to feel, this is not, not everybody was independent and free on the day that we are celebrating and we have been acting like they are. And there was just this giant elephant in the room. Um, and where do we go from here and how do we integrate? You know, there've been a lot of calls for Juneteenth to replace the 4th of July or Mm -hmm. at least be celebrated in lieu of even Columbus in lieu of Columbus day. And I'm like, I'm talking about this, but I'm not talking about this with any black people and I really Mm -hmm. want to be. So I would love to hear what your perspective is and how, you know, this recent holiday and recent events, what that's brought up for you and how you're feeling about the state of our country right now. Yeah, Laura, that's, um, it's a loaded, it's a loaded question for sure. Loaded with, um, for a lot of reasons and loaded with a lot of, um, emotions, um, it has been a challenge. I will say that I personally did not um, um, celebrate or do anything for uh, July 4th this year. It was- Have for, you in previous years? Like In previous years, yes, I have. And in did previous- Did it feel kind of like weird celebrating at this? Because I know it felt really weird for me. I was like, guys, <laughs> like- Yeah, like this- It was just so, it was just so weird. Yeah. Right. This year, I didn't for a few reasons. It was weird, but one of the reasons was um, we're in a global pandemic and I don't feel like, I don't feel safe being around a lot of people, first of all. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that. Um, Another part of it was um, I don't, I don't like celebrating something that does not feel authentic to me. And Duh. so, yeah. so right now, for me, the biggest issue with 4th of July is it feels inauthentic. We're not free until all of us are free. Yeah. We've been willing to live with that like up until now. I think even if I'm wrong, like correct me if I'm wrong here, Mm -hmm. but I've been celebrating the 4th of July with black people since I was born. Like it's like, we've been, we've all been willing to just say, okay, this is independence day. But this year it's like, wait a second, we know more now. And Mm -hmm. and I think, I know in my life, um, and this is hard to see on a countrywide level, but I know in my life, like awareness comes and it's uncomfortable and then the healing happens. And mm-hmm. then 
you know, ideally we can come back to those celebrations and they can actually represent what they ought to represent. But I think right now, like as a country, we're kind of in this place where we're like, are we going to be okay? Um, And that was a question that I think was just in the air because it was, it was just genuinely uncomfortable. Like, are we really going to raise a flag and set off all of these fireworks when it has become so evident over the last several months that freedom and equality and justice and liberty is not something that every individual in this country actually has. And I think we can look at it as a beautiful thing that we want that. We're not saying, screw you, like, we're done with this country. Like, (laughs) we're saying, like, we can, I love, it's the way I feel about the people that I love most in my life. You Mm -hmm. know, I love you and I know that you can do better. And I'm going to be here. And I'm going to wait. I I know that that's how I feel. Like I'm going to do the work with you and I'm going to show up with you and I'm going to um, be here, but I'm not going to let you get away with things that don't make sense for you or for me anymore. Exactly. It's, it's, it's definitely, it felt like kind of an accountability challenge almost that like, um, I've, I've been silent. I have gone along with, I have played the game, um, and, and kind of almost conceded is the word I'm looking for. I have conceded to the fact that this is kind of just the way things are for so many years. And it's just an opportunity to have a barbecue and have fun and get together with family in previous years. But this year it's like, that doesn't cut it anymore. Like the facade is gone. The jig is up. I am not willing to do this anymore. Like when you know better, you do better. And I know better now. Um, Eyes have been opened. Things have been exposed. And I can't, like, it's like, you can't unsee what you've seen. And you can't. And so for me, that was mainly the reason that I didn't want, I didn't want to do that. And also, you know, it puts me in a, as a black woman, it puts me in a place where I have to choose between being authentic and being organic and being true to myself and my values and what I believe versus um, doing what's easy and going with the status quo or going along with business as usual. And this, I can't do business as usual anymore because all of these things are happening. Innocent people are being killed unjustly. I have to have conversations with my five-year-old daughter about, um, well, yes, honey, the police are supposed to protect us and the police are supposed to be nice people, but sometimes they're not. And so sometimes the police have to go to jail too. And I mean, or, or I have to have conversations with my husband about, okay, honey, did you check everything on your car? Are any of your taillights out? Does it, is anything like, is the registration expired on your truck? Like, trying to figure out ways to to keep my family safe and protect them. And those are conversations that I have to have that people not of color do not have to have. And so no, you're absolutely my, right. my wife is um is in a lot of ways 
just inherently different than than a, a, a white person's life. And so I am not going to bow down and and celebrate a holiday that represents something that was not true for me or my people at that time. My people were not free. No, they, and, and I think there are a lot of white people who um, don't ever really, and I don't really understand this at all, um, who don't ever really consider that you would be having those conversations with your child and your husband mm-hmm. when they're not. Right. You know, we were just driving through New Mexico to get to Colorado. We got a flat tire and um, we the, the sheriff was like out making sure we were okay. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, if I was not white, if I was black, I would mm-hmm. be terrified Absolutely. that I, my life, I was in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. And like my life was kind of in this hands of this person who was supposed to be protecting me. And then at another point, we got pulled over for speeding mm-hmm. and we're on a highway stretch that was like, there really weren't that many cars there. And then there's mm-hmm. this cop that comes up to our front door. And I think about all the videos I've seen about cops mm-hmm. at the front door of a black person where it ends with some, with, with a black person dying, getting murdered. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought of that visual and like how, even as a white person, because I've seen that so many times, I felt afraid. So I can only imagine, you know, how I would feel if I were getting pulled over on this country road. But there are white people who never even consider that at Mm -hmm. all. And I think there's this fear that considering it would mean that we would have to just denounce this country and say goodbye to it or something. And it's like, no, we we acknowledge things and we grow and we learn and we do things differently and we become a better America. Like, I mean, I think that I have a really great, I have a wonderful relationship with my husband and that's not because we stand here and we say there's nothing wrong with us and we're never going to work on anything and we're, we're better than Afghanistan and we're better than Pakistan. Mm -hmm. We're better than these other countries. So we're never going to look at ourselves. It's because we actually look at all of the things Mm -hmm. we look at them constantly and say, how can we do this better? Um, Because I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm comparing myself to myself. I'm comparing my relationship to my relationship. And I think a lot of people look at America and they say, you know, well, you're lucky you're not under, you know, you're not under the Taliban or you're not like Kim Mm Jong-un isn't your president. I'm like, I'm not worried about that. I want us to be the best. I want us to grow. I want us to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. I want everybody in this country to hear that and think that's how I feel here. And up until very recently, I think most white people never thought about the fact that most people living here do not feel do not that way. Feel they that hear way. that song. Right. No, right. <laughs> they don't. Right. And like, what a wonder it would be if we did. Right. Wouldn't we just, wouldn't we be better? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, um, I think that that's, I, I think that's what we all want. Um, but I do think, and you probably know this as a mental health coach, that a lot of time when we're faced with our darkness, it can be scary to stay there. Um, to look at it. And uh, I hope that we can continue to stand still as a country. Um, And, you know, that's, that's my hope. And um, I'm, I'm optimistic when I see other people showing up for that challenge as well. Yeah. It's Um, okay. I think people get just, people are, people are uncomfortable with discomfort and it's, it's, it's okay as a, I mean, as a therapist, that is one of the main things that I have to, um, 
help people to understand is um, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable. Uncomfortable is kind of where everything happens. Exactly. That's where that's where revelation happens. That's where transformation happens. That is where you really um, you really see things and feel things completely. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with sitting still and feeling um feeling things that that don't feel good. And the thing is we can't we can't feel good all the time. That's not normal. At if we are always in our comfort zone, we we never move. We never change. We never demand change. But the biggest, the the most important place to start with all of that is just empathy, empathy, empathy. I think that's something that is is totally um, underrated in our world today is just sit and feel. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Put yourself in, 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 as a white woman, put yourself in a black woman's shoes that has to um, get a call from her husband. I distinctly remember my husband and I, we were, I think we were engaged at the time. Um, And my husband used to be a district manager for um, a big retail company. Um, And one of the stores that um, he was in charge of was um, in Pulaski, Tennessee, which is where the KKK started. And I distinctly remember him um, calling me every week before he would drive into Pulaski, honey, I'm going to Pulaski to uh, do a store review today. I should be there this long. If you don't hear from me by this time, something is wrong. Call my sister. His sister is an attorney. Um, and so like I had that conversation with him for for years. Like put yourself in put yourself in that situation where you have to have that kind of conversation with your husband or put yourself in a situation where how would you feel if every time that maybe your husband got randomly pulled over on the side of the road for not doing anything that he immediately calls you and puts you on speakerphone so that you yeah. can hear if anything goes wrong. Do you even, well, like, do you I mean, we see a lot, you don't even, people don't even think about that or consider it. I mean, nobody in this country should ever go to another city in this country and have to tell their wife that. Right. Um, I mean, that, I, I, yeah, I mean, and, and people don't necessarily consider that that would be somebody else's experience when the cops have always helped them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so much of the conversation that we're trying to have in this country right now is understand that what one thing means to you, it doesn't mean to somebody else, you know, we're not, um, we need to look at seeing things from another perspective um, that we haven't even considered if we haven't considered it before. Uh, we, I, you were just talking about, you know, being uncomfortable. Um, and I was thinking about the pandemic. Um, and how uncomfortable just this entire experience has been for, I feel like, most human beings because we've never been in this situation before and we don't know how to cope with it. If we're How we're supposed to be coping, what we're supposed to be doing, it's completely contrary 
to what we're used to. And um, that message that you were talking about, um, it's a very American message that we should be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many self-help books are there on the shelf that are in some way, (laughs) right? Always be happy. And I'm like, where did we even get that? Was that in the 90s when pain medication became like a big (laughs) thing? And like, we realized we didn't really have to feel all pain. Mm -hmm. I don't really know where exactly the happy all the time narrative started. But I had this real aha moment um, the other day when I, um, you know, we left town for about 11 days, got out of Houston, which is like the epicenter right now of the coronavirus. And I was Mm -hmm. able to get some space and see that, you know, when I'm here, I'm not particularly overjoyed uh, most of the time. This Mm -hmm. has been a very challenging experience. And I started thinking of, okay, how am I going to structure things differently and do things differently when I get home so that I and feel better. And and that's a question that I've been asking myself since day one of this pandemic. I think I've really exhausted all of those options. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, I had this voice just sort of come to me a couple nights ago, I was sitting in my bed. There's nothing that you're going to do that's going to make this like feel like Christmas morning. This is a really challenging (laughs) experience. Like, How about just letting it be okay that you're not okay? Right. Like let it. And and how many times have I read a meme that says it's okay that you're not okay right Right. now? But really taking that in that this is not the that accepting that this is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. on all fronts, on the um, social justice front, on the coronavirus front. The, this is not something that we're going to be able to like yoga our way out of. Right. Um, or, you know, we can do those things are going to support us and help us get through them. Um, but they're not going to change this into some sort of like incredibly joyful experience. Not all experiences in life are supposed to feel that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, I just try to tell people like this, we don't have to, um, we don't have to fix I think we're addicted to fixing and there's not really anything to be fixed right now. It's more of learning to be okay in a space that is not necessarily okay. Learning to adjust, learning to pivot and learning to to allow things to be the way they are knowing that there's nothing you can do to change those things, but you can control yourself, how you feel about things, how you respond to things. Do you allow yourself to become anxious and nervous and in a frenzy all the time trying to keep things together? Or do you let things just be, just let things kind of fall apart for a bit. Like for me, I, I am an introvert at heart. Like I love my alone time. Um, and the pandemic has been very challenging for me. I'm an introvert who also- Even as an introvert. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, this is why. And I don't think people really get it. So I'm an introvert and I work from home. So typically I'm at home alone during the day. So I get my alone introvert time. And then when it's time to pick up being from school, then I can devote myself to helping her with her homework or going to the library, going to the park or running errands or whatever it is that I need to do. And I'm okay. But I have not had alone quiet time since March Mm, because my husband has been home all day. Bean has been home all day. 
I've been homeschooling. Like I don't ever get a break from There's never these a people, yeah. right? right? As much yes. as I love them, sometimes everybody I, needs a break, introverted exactly, or extroverted. Exactly. Yeah. I also am an adult who has an extreme case of ADHD. So on top of that, trying to accomplish anything, work, anything with a five-year-old at home and a husband who is an extrovert and loves to chat. That uh-huh. has been like, I literally have been like, why, like, why, why, why are, why are people still talking to me? Like, why? 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 Well, it's so funny because like, I'm pretty extroverted. Like on the Myers-Briggs, I'm like 51% oh, extrovert. Wow. So I always get the E, but I, I do have some introvert tendencies, but I have realized, you know, I really do get my energy from being around other people. But even so, like in this situation, it's like when you're with your family members 24 seven without any type of interruption, mm-hmm. like everybody needs time and space to themselves. When we were like really in the thick of it. I was waking up at like five in the morning just oh, so I could same. have like same. Oh, yeah. this block, you know, that was just for me. Um, otherwise I just felt like I couldn't even survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm in a place where I feel like I just need rest. And you've been writing a lot about that actually in Absolutely. your feed recently about naps. And what was it today you wrote about, um, how, taking break is actually, um, is actually rebellion. Um, that in in a society that tells you to go as fast as you can, here you go in a world that glorifies busyness and productivity. Rest is an essential act of personal rebellion. Take a nap today. Be a rebel. I Mm -hmm. love that. (laughs) I feel like a little rebel. I just feel like I'm, I'm sleeping until my kids wake me up. I just can't um, I can't get enough sleep lately. And I think, you know, this is a skill building time. This is a time where we're learning tools um, mm-hmm. and it's really challenging. And once we get to a point that's ideally less challenging, we'll have those tools and we'll have, um, you know, ways to experience more joy, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, and there's really a season for everything. There is. And I, I that's something I really just hope that people um, get and understand um, just from everything that I do that, there absolutely is a season for everything. There's a season to be busy, busy, busy. There's a season to um, take a step back and 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 be more reflective. Um, and 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 nothing lasts forever. Everything is everything is seasonal. Everything is is temporary. So even the things that you're struggling with or the things that you're dealing with that are troublesome, those things will not last forever. But what is most important is how you take care of yourself in those times that are difficult and troubling, like be a rebel and provide yourself a space of respite in those challenging times. It is okay. Like you're not going to be able to fix it, but at least you are able to give your mind, your body, your spirit a break just for a little bit. It's okay. It's totally okay to take a break. It's totally okay to step away from, from all the chaos for a little bit and, and, and just kind of get your bearings back, get your, get your feet back underneath you. And, and take some deep breaths, get, get present in the moment that you are in and 
take care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. Faith, thank you so much for your wise words and for this little mental health coaching session that everyone's gotten to be part of for the last 45 minutes. I so appreciate you and I am so grateful to have had you as a guest today. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. Uh, for everyone who loved what Faith had to say, if you're not following her already, she's on Instagram at Flirtily Speaks. Um, so much wisdom that I get from her every day. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose. Thank you again for joining me. You've been listening to Look Ma No Hands, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mom, mom, mom,